Daniel chapter 2, reading from verses 1 to 23. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb, limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans then uh, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they saw Daniel and his companions to kill them. The Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He, uh, he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. The, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his com companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my, of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made, uh, made known to us 
the king's matter lord heavenly father we just uh, want to thank you once again for this this privilege of coming together as one family sitting uh, in your midst lord and uh, thank you for the reminder uh, to each one of us uh, through the table lord through the bread and the wine lord and as we continue to sit for some more time in your presence thank you for the words uh, from your word lord want to commit uh, brother jerry into your hands as he uh, speaks to us i pray that you might speak to us through him and that uh, we might uh, hear with attentive ears that uh, not only do we hear but that we might be able to uh, apply it uh, to each of our lives that that we might uh, grow uh, nearer to you and that we might uh, grow in our relationship with you lord uh, want to come at these things in your hands in jesus name we pray dreams dreams have intrigued and puzzled humans since the beginning of time uh, because dreams are among the most personal and mysterious of human experiences much has been written about dreams across cultures uh, right from the modern uh, right from the classical scholars like aristotle and plato and down to uh, modern uh, psychologists like freud and and his uh, student young um, in fact as i was uh, as i was uh, studying i realized that there is a uh, there is a subject and and this is actually a school of study under psychology called uh, onirology the study of dreams and yet as i was reading through i realized that uh, it is one area of science and psychology that people are really struggling to understand it's it's only hypotheses that are there assumptions that are there that maybe this is how it is this is the reason why we dream and this could be the the uh, the meaning of our dreams but it's it's a fuzzy area in science um the other day anugrah was uh, getting ready to go to school and i was helping him get ready and uh, he was very excited he said uh, dada i had a dream so i said uh, and i've we've had these episodes earlier so i'm a little wary so i said okay what was it he said uh, i dreamt that we are going to goa for my birthday that's <laughs> a smart kid um <laughs> uh, but it didn't end there i'm 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 thinking that that's going to be an expensive uh, birthday my son and uh, he said but dada you know what the whole cbf was there with us <laughs> so yeah so he's extended the invitation but uh, please don't interpret that dream <laughs> there is no prophecy there um a lot of dreams are happy but then a lot of dreams are scary right and i have had through my childhood most of the latter i used to wake up in a sweat uh with with scary dreams and uh, my parents used to tell me um just pray and you know it will be all right go back to bed um my recurring scary dream was uh, that i'm being chased by horrible monsters and i'm running fast but i'm going nowhere right i'm at the right at the same spot and they are coming they're coming to get me um uh, and maybe just at the time that that is about to happen i just wake up in a sweat and and then i pray again and uh if uh, are, are there people here who've had scary dreams yes i see a lot of people nod yeah i i see people raise hands um yeah if nebukadnezar was here with us he would have said 
<laughs> That's one more person who had several scary dreams, the first verse says. And one of them really troubled his heart so much, more so because he wasn't able to remember it. The Lord just wiped that one dream uh, away from his memory and he wasn't able to remember it, right? And, and that used to happen to me. A lot of times I used to just wake up scared and afraid but having completely forgotten what the dream was, just, just scared, right? And, and that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, a mighty king, right? And some of these things just, just bring us all to the same level, yeah? And I think scary dreams are one such thing. A mighty king, king of Babylon, right? He had started with a small empire, but by the time, by the time that uh, we are in chapter 2, verse 1, he has almost conquered the entire world, right? The Babylonian empire and he besieged Jerusalem from the king Jehoiakim who was the king of Judah and God revealed great historical prophetic truths through this pagan king and I was thinking why would God choose a pagan king to reveal such great truths about what he is going to do realize that Israel and Judah had become morally and spiritually as worse as Babylonians in fact, even worse off, because Babylonians had known the truth, or had not known the truth, but Israel and Judah had known the truth and then forsaken it. And, and there's a great warning for us there. And that's a theme across the Bible. From whom, to whom more has been given, from them more will be expected. The Lord is going to ask us, basis what he has given to us. Do as much as you have learned. So the more we learn, the more the Lord is expecting from us. And as a rebuke, God does not reveal his plans through an Israelite king, but God doesn't forsake Israel completely either. He places Daniel in that situation. A young teenage boy, by now he is 18 years old. In chapter 1 when we saw he was 15 and I took Joy's example, are any 18 year olds here? You look. <laughs> yeah? 18 year old. So yeah, uh, maybe around the time that someone is entering college. That's the age that Daniel is uh, at this time in chapter 2. A captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Smart, handsome, intelligent from, ro from a loyal, royal lineage. Uh, and then he, was, he and his friends were put into three years training to enter the king's service. Like our Indian administrative service. They were put into uh, three years rigorous training. Uh, Babylonians were trying to brainwash them from everything that they knew. Uh, yet, as we studied chapter 1, we saw that the Lord prepared Daniel for his use. And this preparation began much before exile we had seen. And it extended into the time that he was there in that training period. Uh, Babylonians were thinking that they are training them, but it was actually the Lord training Daniel. Wherever we are, the Lord is working in us if we allow him to do that. And the Lord placed Daniel for his use. So the Lord prepared Daniel for his use and then the Lord placed Daniel for his use. And then today we'll see how the Lord used Daniel for his glory. So uh, King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 verse 1, we see he saw several dreams and he was troubled. He could not sleep. But one dream troubled him most and he had forgotten it. Uh, just as a side comment, if uh, you or your children are troubled with scary dreams, pray. 
Yeah, that's what I used to do, and it works. Uh, the Lord definitely answers our prayer, and, and when Anugrah sometimes wakes, uh, wakes up in the, at night and says that, Dada, I had a scary dream, I'm not being able to sleep, we pray together with him, ask him to pray, and he's able to get good sleep afterwards, right? But don't pray for a vision. Uh, uh, don't, don't, don't pray that the Lord would reveal to you who to get married to. Right? Don't say that, Lord, I have three people in mind. Uh, please reveal the right face to me tonight. Uh, because the Bible uh, says that for everything that we need to know today, the Bible is complete. Right? The Bible and God's word is complete. Whatever God wants to tell us, whether it is about how to live our lives spiritually or in the world, decisions that we need to take. Actually, the Bible doesn't make a distinction between what is spiritual and what is secular, right? It is, it is one life and, and God is going to reveal to us everything about what we need to do, all, all the decisions that we need to take uh, through the Bible because it is complete. Revelations 22 towards the last part says that nothing is to be added or removed from this word. It is complete. For us, uh, the Bible is also able to make us complete. And Second Timothy three sixteen says that it is able to make us complete and perfect. Right. So all that we need to know from God is already revealed to us. But in those days when it was not, God used visions and God used dreams to reveal to people what He wanted them to know. Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar instantly he calls all his wise men in verse. To it says magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. We don't see Daniel and his friends there. We don't see, in fact, any godly people on that list. And I was thinking, who are the kind of people that I think as wise? Who are the people that we consider wise? To whom do we go for advice? That really uh, tells who do we consider wise. Right? If we were to ask that question, we'll give uh, very godly names. But I think... The real way to ask that question is, when in times of, of questions, of trouble, who do I go to for advice? Who do I consider wise? King realized, however, by the end of the chapter where true wisdom truly comes from. And uh, we see from verse 2 up till verse 9 that these so-called wise men were a complete sham. King Nebuchadnezzar puts them to the ultimate test. He uh, tells them that... Uh, not just the interpretation, but you have to tell me the dream first. Tell me the dream because I've forgotten it. Tell me the dream and then interpret it for me. And if you do, you've got gifts, reward and honor in verse 6 on one side. If you don't, then you have death by being cut into pieces and houses which will be turned into rubble. And King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't someone who would just exaggerate to make a point. He would actually do it. Right? And, and the wise men knew that. But they tried to play the king. Verse 4 and 7, they tried to tell him, you tell us the dream, we'll tell you the meaning. Uh, how difficult would that be? You can just cook up anything about, about a dream and say that that's what it meant. Uh, and they tried to buy time. They say that uh, again in verse 7 and 8. But in verse 9, King Nebuchadnezzar clearly sees through their deception. Uh, and let's read that. Verse 9, 10 and 11. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's response to what they say, and then finally, what these wise men say, it, is, uh, it just sets the context for the rest of uh, the incident and what's going to happen. If someone can just help read that out loud, verse 9, 10, and 11.
Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it, show it to the king except the God, whose dwelling is not what a confession by these wise men. No one can reveal to the king except the gods and they do not live among men. And what a setup for God to just come in at that point and reveal himself and his power and how he works and through whom he works. If you are a child of God, God will put you into situations which are set up to glorify him. Romans 8 verse 28, all things work together for good, right? But it says, going ahead, what is the purpose of that? Shall we quickly look at that? Because you might say that God is actually going to work everything for my good. But it says in verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined. And here's the first good, to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So the first good of God putting us into situations is to make us like Jesus. And then it goes on to say that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The second good, it is for his glory. To make us like Jesus and for his glory. Let us just remember this, that God puts us into situations many times which are set up for us to become more like him more like his son, and for his glory to be revealed through us. And that's what happens right here. Uh, this entire situation where the, the wise men themselves say, and they were, they were so right, yet they were so wrong. They were right about the fact that no one could reveal or reconstruct this dream except divinity. But they were wrong in their understanding that there are many gods. They say, except the gods. They were wrong in that understanding. They were wrong in their understanding that God doesn't live among men. They had no clue that the true and living God was right there in their midst, among his chosen people, among his men, working in and through the lives of his people, speaking to them, speaking through them, and revealing his plans and controlling history. They did not know that the true and living God is right there in the midst of men. If you are a child of God, then you bring the presence of God into wherever you go, into whichever situation you go in. Imagine your first day in college, imagine your first day at a new job. You are bringing the presence of God into that place. People sitting there in your, in your college and uh, in your office, just like these wise men are thinking that Nothing extraordinary happens here. God doesn't exist or, or God is not here. He's not interested in our things. He's not interested in school or college. He's not interested in what we are doing at work. He's only meant for a particular place, a particular time. But you and I, children of God, as we walk in to those places, the temple of the living God, as we walk into those places, we bring in the presence of the living God into those places. Have, have you ever thought about that? Right? By the end of this episode, the wise men come to know. The wise men come to know that the true and living God, because they said, 
that no one else can truly reveal this, can reconstruct a dream that you have forgotten, O king. And when Daniel would have come and explained that, they realized that the true and living God is there, living in our midst, living among these people, talking to them. These people are experiencing the true and living God. That's a question for us. When we start off in our colleges, when we start off in our jobs, people around us don't know the true and living God, don't even know that there can be this kind of a personal relationship with God. But by the end of it, by the end of our time, will people come to know? Will people in Flipkart who work with me come to know? And that's a, that's a big challenge for me. Will they come to know that there is a true and living God? And He engages with us. He's interested in our lives. Will they be able to see that and come to know that through me? May that be our prayer. And may we be able to think of our college, think of our job as the place where God has kept us for His use. It's not just about the studies. It's not just about uh, what the boss is asking us to do and, and making money for the company. It's not just that. God, if you are a child of the living God, then you are his temple and God is placing you in each of those places for his glory, to be used for his glory, prepared for his use, placed for his use. Um, and then King Nebuchadnezzar, because these wise men are not able to do what he's asked them to do, he passes an execution order in verse 12 and 13. And that also includes Daniel and his friends because by now they had perhaps completed that training period and uh, they're also considered among the wise people. And it is in this scenario that Daniel enters, a person who was prepared and placed and now will be used for God's glory. And as we read through and as we see how Daniel uh, engages in this situation, how he interacts with various people, we're able to see the character of someone who God uses. The first thing that really stands out is wisdom in response to crisis. Wisdom in response to crisis. Just see how he speaks to these people. In verse 14, he goes and seeks out Ariok, the commander of the king's guard, the chief executioner, and he speaks to him, it says, with wisdom and tact. What wonderful words. Wisdom, the ability to apply knowledge, the ability to take decisions, tact, the, the, the ability to handle people, the ability to handle situations. And we see that he is calm and composed, not panicking. We see no despair. We see no turmoil. And just look who he is interacting with. He is interacting with the commander and the executioner of the, the, the emperor of practically the entire world at that time. That's the kind of person. So Ariok would have been, would have been a rough, tough commander, an authoritarian, you know, someone with, without feelings for anyone. That's, that's how you have to be if you are an executioner. But Daniel just brings a calm, a, a, a calm situation around him. Right? He's, he's able to calm down Ariok. And in fact, Ariok actually listens to Daniel and explains the matter to him. It says in verse 15, Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. Can you imagine that someone who's come to execute you and you have a discussion with him and that person eventually is explaining to you why things are happening and how things are happening, right? They actually have a conversation. 
And I was just reminded of uh, Proverbs 15.1 that a gentle answer turns away wrath. A gentle answer turns away wrath. And so many times when we get into a situation of crisis, our immediate response is to blow our lid off in a way that it just turns the situation into something else, worse off than where it would be. Right? May the Lord teach us to be wise, to be tactful, to be calm and composed, to have the ability to put others to ease in a situation of panic. We say a lot of times that such and such person has such a calming effect. But shouldn't all of God's people be like that? Because we have been called to be peacemakers. May God help us to be people who bring calm into crisis, wisdom in response to crisis. And we see his courage, verse 16. We had seen that in chapter 1 as well. He goes to meet the king in such a tense situation. And, and it's not even his doing. He goes to meet the king and he asks for time. The wise men had asked for time, not gotten it. He asked for time and he gets it. Look at how God is working through Daniel. And our lives are about meeting one crisis after another. They might be small, they might be big, but it's just different situations and different decisions that we have to tackle one after another. Our families need us to be wise in crisis. Our offices, our places of work need us to be wise in times of crisis. Our church needs us to be wise in times of crisis. People with wisdom, people with tact, people who are calm and composed in situations, people who are courageous. May we ask the Lord to help us with wisdom to respond to crisis. The second thing that we see is prayer in response to problem. The immediate thing that he does is goes to his friends and they kneel down together in, in prayer. In, in disaster management, one of the things that they teach is first response training. What is the first response at a time of crisis? Think of the last time that you faced crisis of any kind. It might have been a small decision, a big one. It might have been, um, it, it might have been a tough situation with an individual, something that happened on the road, something that happened in office or in school or in college. How long did it take before you prayed to the Lord for guidance and strength? Is prayer really our first response to crisis? Sometimes God puts us in situations where the only solution is to pray to Him. Yeah, There's a difference. A lot of times we are in, and most times we are in situations where prayer could be, or God could be one of the responses or one of the solutions. Most times we have things in our control uh, through which we can handle situations. But a lot of times God puts us into such situations where the only source and the only solution is He and He alone. And that is our first response training. Because again and again when we come through situations when there is no other place to go to, it's our training ground. God is teaching us when disaster strikes, the first response is to go to your knees and pray. So that it becomes our instinctive, our default response, even in situations where we have other solutions. It should, prayer should be, and going to God should become our first response. And in verse 17, Daniel shared this matter with his godly friends and they prayed together. Why? Why would he do that? Only he had the ability to interpret, but still he goes to his friends and he prays together with them because no matter what gifts 
what past records of success we have, what familiarity with situations we have when in crisis pray. And it is such a privilege to have praying friends. Uh, I just want to re-emphasize, and I'd, I'd done this last time as well, the importance of godly friends. Just think about this. Who do I spend most time with? Who do you spend most time with? I'm hoping if you're married, it's with your family. But beyond that, who else do you spend most time with? Single people, who do you spend most time with? Who do you rush to in times of crisis? Who do you share with? Who do you open up to? Do you have friends with whom you can pray? Do you have friends, godly friends, with whom you can open up with your issues and pray together? And we see Daniel's faith in the, in the prayer that he prays. We just see his faith, right? He's so clear that God is going to answer his prayer in verse 18 and, uh, and 19. It was built on what Daniel already knew about God. Where is this faith coming from? It is built on what Daniel already knew about God. Daniel knew that God could help interpret dreams. How? Because his patriarch Joseph had experienced that. And Daniel knew that. So Daniel knew that I believe in a God who can interpret dreams and bases that. right. So it's one, he's, he's, he's placing his faith on something that he already knows. So he knows God can interpret dreams. And on top of that, now he's putting his faith. If God can interpret dreams, he can also tell me that dream. Our faith is built on what we already know about God. It's one step at a time. A lot of times we look at people of faith and we feel, how can they have this kind of faith in this situation? You know, sometimes people share some experiences with us or, or, or uh, we are spending time with these people who are mentoring us and we just think, how can they have this kind of faith? My dear friends, it is not a faith which just suddenly comes out of a leap. It is built on what people already know. So the more that you and I spend time with the Lord, the more that you and I know who He is and experience His character and experience what He does in our lives, the more will our faith be built because we will take a step ahead from what we already know. Daniel knew something and on top of that, he built his faith. So important to get to know God better. Wisdom in response to crisis. Prayer in response to problem. And then finally, praise in response to God's work in his life. Shall we just read this section again? It's, it's a very beautiful prayer of praise. Uh, verse 20 through verse 23. If someone can just help read it aloud, please. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Daniel gave God the glory and gave it instantly. Gave it instantly. There was no, there was no moment of thinking that, oh wow, I am so great. It was an instant acknowledgement of what God has done 
instant glory to God. And he praises God for God's wisdom. He praises God for his power, for his sovereignty, for his revelation and for answering prayer. Yeah, I'll repeat that. Uh, because it is a great pattern for us to pray. Daniel praises God for his wisdom, for his power, for his sovereignty, for his revelation and for answering prayer. Daniel had a clear understanding of who God is and how God works. And the way Daniel interacts with God and where we see Daniel's understanding of who God is, that we see is also impacting his interaction with others. His individual worship is impacting his public witness. What he knows about God and what he understands about God's character is impacting how he interacts with others. Let's look at a couple of verses. 27, 28. Can someone read please? 27, 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, who reveals mysteries. See, what he was praying about in, this, in his time of meditation, in his time of personal contemplation and worship, whatever he understood and knew about God is now reflecting in his interaction with others. It's, interact, it's reflecting and it's coming out, it's impacting his public witness. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Again, he's not taking any glory for himself. He's saying that it is God. Verse 30 and then verse 37 also, please. As for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who makes who make who make known the invitation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. Yeah, so 30, this mystery has been revealed to me not because I have greater wisdom. It's very clear that this is, I am not any better than anyone else. It is only God. Verse 37 also, Sean. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength and glory. Right? Again, speaking out aloud what he already knows about God, his individual worship impacting his public witness. And he gives God complete credit. He says, by myself, I am not special. By myself, I am not better than anyone else. As the Lord blesses us, as the Lord uses us, will we have that humility to be able to attribute glory to him and not to delay it? Attribute glory to him instantly. Romans 12.3 says, Think of yourself as you ought to, not highly. Think of yourself as you ought to, not highly. And Daniel shows that. He relates himself in the right way with God. He relates himself in the right way with himself and also in the right way with others around him. And that's true humility. It's, it's not about when someone actually praises you for something that you're good at, to say, no, 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 no. Say, brother, you play the guitar so No, 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 I don't know. Uh, sister, you sing so well. Oh, no, no, my, my voice is not. It's not about that. It's about self-awareness, right? It's really about knowing. That's what Romans 12.3 is saying, that think of yourselves as you ought to. So if you're good at something and if God has blessed you with that, then be aware of that. But give God the glory and praise for that. Know your capabilities. Know your limitations as well. 
right? And know that all of this is from God and that He's the one who is our strength in our weakness. And take no credit for what you're capable for. Take no pride in what God is doing in and through you. Wisdom in response to crisis, prayer in response to problem, and finally we saw praise in response to God's work in your life. Praise in response to God's work in your life. And then Daniel goes on to tell the dream and tell its interpretation from verse 31 to verse 45. Right? He speaks about a large, enormous, dazzling, awesome statue in verse 31. And then speaks of how that statue that Nebuchadnezzar would have seen had a head of gold and chest and arms of silver and belly and thighs of bronze and legs of iron, feet and toes which were a mixture of iron and clay. And then finally, the rock which comes. And I just want to read uh, verse 34, 35 and then 44 and 45. And, and as, um, uh, as this... Uh, as Daniel explains this entire thing out to Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel says that the first person is you, the first kingdom is you, which is Babylon. And we know through history, Daniel doesn't say which are the other kingdoms, but we know through history later on that the Medo-Persian kingdom came after that, and then the Grecian kingdom came after that, and then the Roman kingdom came after that. And then finally, about the rock, verse 34 and 35. While you were watching... A rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth, a rock not by human hands, which became huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Who else could it be? Who else could it be? Verse 44 and verse 45. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. And we heard about this in today's worship time as well, just before the breaking of the bread, a kingdom which will never cease, a kingdom which will never end. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will endure itself. It will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. And finally, Daniel says, The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is true trustworthy the Lord Jesus Christ a rock not built by human hands became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth a prophecy for the future a kingdom which will never be destroyed a kingdom that you and I are waiting for and look at Nebuchadnezzar's reaction verse 46 he fell prostrate before Daniel you know it's like uh, I don't know it's like Modi falling prostrate in front of one of us it's unimaginable. I mean, even that's, I think, much smaller because Nebuchadnezzar was something else. Yeah, he falls prostrate before Daniel. It's actually really amazing as we read through the book of Daniel. I mean, the prophecies are something. Yeah, and, and, and it's taken the wisest of God's people to still try and unravel that. 
and then you have what God is doing in and through Daniel's life and his character and how he is and what God is doing through him. And then you have in the middle of all of this what God is doing in the lives of others. And in fact, if you just look at this train and like I said in the beginning, Nebuchadnezzar is one of the kings. It's, it's perhaps the only pagan king about whom so much is written in the Bible. And it's with a purpose about how God works in his life. It's amazing to see how God interacts with Nebuchadnezzar and actually changes him. God shakes him up from his slumber, quite literally. God reveals to him the future, Nebuchadnezzar, right? God makes Nebuchadnezzar realize it's not all about him. That this massive empire that he is building will all be destroyed and taken over by another empire. And God makes him encounter the true and living God and see his sovereign will and power through this simple 18-year-old lad standing in front of him. And Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate and it says he honored him, gave him offering, gave him incense. Because for Nebuchadnezzar, this is the person through whom the true and living God has spoken. So Nebuchadnezzar is literally worshipping Daniel. And just look at the proclamation about God, right? And just compare it with what the wise men had proclaimed, saying that... Uh, the, the, the gods don't live among us. And look at what Nebuchadnezzar now proclaims. The king said to Daniel, verse 47, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. What a lovely proclamation coming from a pagan king. And while it seems as Nebuchadnezzar's heart is now changed and converted, right? but we later on will realize that it's momentary. Yeah? But thankfully, God continues to work in his life, keeps knocking on him, brings him to a point that Nebuchadnezzar literally falls down at his feet and uh, comes in, uh, in submission to the true and living God. But that's for later. Uh, verse 48 and 49, Daniel is made the prime minister of Babylon. All these wise men now report to Daniel. And Daniel uses his new position to elevate his friends. What a beautiful friendship. Yeah, he uses the first thing that he does as soon as he gets some level of authority and some level of leverage with the king is to say that those three, you know, bring them up. They are worthy of that. Daniel had no desire, no ambition to climb the political or the corporate ladder in our case or to make it big in the world. Daniel had just one desire. Daniel had just one desire, just one commitment, just one ambition. And that was to honor God. No matter what the place, no matter what the position, no matter what the cost or consequence, that was the only one thing that was a burning desire in his heart. May God help us to realize that he has placed us. He's preparing us. Whatever situations that we are going through, whatever we have gone through till now, God has been preparing us to be used by him. God has placed us where we are, whether it is in, our, in, in the particular families where we are, whether it's in our jobs, in our colleges. It's not just about that. God has placed us there for his use. And God will eventually, if we let him, God will use us for his glory. And when he does, may we bring wisdom in response to crisis. May we bring prayer in response to problem. And may we praise God in response to his work 
in our lives. May God help us and, uh, uh, and may he continue to give us the grace to live as he wants us to. May God's name be glorified.